Hello, my friends. I have a quick question for you. Is your organization struggling with implementing a hybrid work environment that works for everyone? If so, this episode is for you. Coming up after the break, we discuss two very important topics. First, we discuss how your organization can create a work environment that has such a strong gravitational pull that entices employees to come into the office. And then we discuss when your organization should actually be asking your employees to come into the office. But first, let's take a moment to acknowledge our title sponsor, Business Furniture. Help Me Think is sponsored by Business Furniture, a 100-year-old organization focusing on innovation since 1922. That's right. You heard me correctly. Business Furniture just celebrated its 100th anniversary of creating spaces where people can work better, learn better, and feel better. They truly are the experts when it comes to creating spaces where employees can show up and do their best thinking and best work. As you all know, hybrid work has gone mainstream, and it's one of the biggest economic and cultural changes facing leaders today. Most organizations that choose hybrid work are trying to offer a balance between the flexibility that people want and the need to bring employees together to foster collaboration and innovation. And these guys know how to do it. So let Business Furniture help build a sense of community for your company. Check them out at businessfurniture.net. And now, back to our episode. Welcome back. My name is Starla West, and I'm your host of Help Me Think. I am super excited to bring this episode to you today because it's my first interview episode, and it's only fitting that we interview Mary Beth Oaks, the CEO and co-owner of Business Furniture and Company, the title sponsor for Help Me Think. In this episode, Mary Beth and I help you think about two things. One, when your organization should be asking employees to come into the office, and two, how to create a work environment that makes hybrid work a magnet, not a mandate. We discuss Mary Beth's rise to CEO during her 30-plus career at Business Furniture and Company and the value of staying open to opportunities. We also discuss how Business Furniture successfully redesigned its work environment to support hybrid work that encourages team members to be present in the office three days a week or more. And we also discuss how Business Furniture transitioned their employees from assigned to unassigned office space with newly designed and assigned neighborhoods. There's lots of great information that came out in this interview, so I created a seven-page worksheet to capture it and share it with you. There's a link in the show notes that you can use right now to download your free copy. With that, let's get after it. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation and informative discussion with Mary Beth Oaks. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Help Me Think. I'm your host, Starla West, and my guest today is Mary Beth Oaks, CEO and co-owner of Business Furniture. And bear with me here. I'm going to read this, this short bio because I want to make sure I get it correct. Dedicated to the philosophy that space shapes attitudes, behaviors, and business results, Mary Beth and her team at Business Furniture have worked with hundreds of companies healthcare organizations, schools, and universities to create dynamic workplaces that support strong cultures and maximize employee potential. 
so that organizations and their teams can do their best work while achieving business results. Business Furniture is celebrating its 101st anniversary. You heard me correctly, 101 years this organization has been in business and currently has two working showrooms in Indianapolis, Indiana and Dayton, Ohio. Welcome, Mary Beth. Hey, thank you, Starla. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. And I'd be remiss if I left out that they are also the title sponsor for Help Me Think. So thank you very much for being my title sponsor for this first initial season. We are thrilled and excited and honored. So we are so passionate about the work that you do, and we believe in you a thousand percent. You just made my day. Okay, interview over. We're done. (laughs) Now, it's wonderful to have you here, and I'm super excited to talk about this hybrid working world that we're in right now. But before we get to that, I thought a really good place to start would be your career at Business Furniture, because even though the organization is 101 years old, you clearly did not start with the organization in 101 years ago, but you've been with the organization for over 30 years now. Your career started in 92, correct? It started in 92. And it's just one of those things, like it's funny how fate happens, I guess. I ended up, I was, I was working in another job. I wasn't happy with that job. I was, I was relatively fresh out of college and I ended up going to a party one Memorial day weekend. And I met this gentleman. I was lamenting that I was trying to find something else to do with my (laughs) career to leverage my communication skills. And he said, well, business furniture is in my building. He said, I actually work in their building. It's the business furniture building downtown. And he said, I think I've heard they were looking for a showroom manager. And of course, I had never heard of business furniture. I didn't know anything about office furniture, but I decided I was going to apply for the job. And the rest, as they say, is history. So I started out at business furniture in 92 as the showroom manager. And back at that time, it was a very different world, obviously. There was no technology like we have today, I think, because there was really not you know, a rampant use of the internet, people really were not able to do a lot of research in advance about their workspace. So they would come in to see us and they virtually knew nothing. And so, so much has changed, right? But but it was a great place for me to start. My, my family, of course, was stymied about office furniture. They, they didn't know where that came from. Like, why are you going into an office furniture career? But I was drawn to business furniture's culture, even at that time, you know, 31 years ago, I was really enticed by the fact that they'd been around at that time, 70 years. So I just thought that was a a great testament to the kind of company they must be. And so that is why I started there. And my job really was to work with clients when they walked in the front door. I worked with all of our suppliers. So I will say it gave me a really good foundation and a good understanding of, of, of our business from the ground up. And I I loved it. And I was in that role for a few years and then started managing all of our marketing and communication. And I loved it. I think, I mean, I I still think it's a great company. I thought it was a great company then. I think it's a great company now. So, but that's how it started. Just totally happenstance, how I ended up in in the role at Business Furniture. Well, isn't that how things normally happen when you're when you're looking for your next opportunity. You know, I, I, I talk with clients all the time that are in that position looking for the next opportunity. And I keep reinforcing, listen, 
you know, you, you got to have the resume out there. You've got to be going through the normal channels, but you also need to be talking to your network. And I mean, that's yes. just proof that you, we see proof around us all over, all around us that over and over again, if we talk with our network, if we put it out in the universe, the right things start to present themselves. And this must have been the right thing because, you know, 30 years later, you're the CEO. Yeah, I love I mean, it's just a great company. And I will say the other lesson it taught me at a very young age is that really be open to new opportunities. Mm-hmm. I, I get asked that question sometimes when I'm mentoring somebody that's still in college and they want to know what's your best advice. And some of my best advice is just be open to opportunities. Even if you have it set in your mind that you think you want to do one thing with your career, just be open to explore, open to to meet with people, open to talk about opportunities, because you just never know when something is going to come up that really is a good fit, even though maybe it's something you never dreamed about. Because I will tell you, I did not grow up as a little girl thinking someday I would own an <laughs> office furniture company. The last thing I could have imagined. So be open to possibilities and you never know what's going to happen. Well, and like you said, too, 30 years ago, selling business furniture it, it is far different than, than it is today because back then we didn't have the Internet. So we couldn't go out and do our own research like we do now. So you were really starting from the ground up and, and with clients wanted for business furniture, they had to walk in the door and take a look at it. Right. They did. They did. And, and you know, it really gave us a good opportunity or gave me a good opportunity to really learn about a client and really understand their pain points, their challenges, really gave me a chance to build that personal connection with them. And of course, our sales team to build that personal connection. And uh, yeah, it's just a different time now. Technology really has changed everything. Absolutely. Well, let's let's going to, uh, along those same lines. Let's fast forward. I think it was about 16 years later. Yes. You were in a position at Business Furniture to co-found Corio. And if I understand correctly, Corio was somewhat of a spin-off of, of yes. Business Furniture. Yes. So talk a little bit about that. How how you got to that position that you could start Corio. What was Corio? What was the purpose and what motivated you to to start a company like Corio? All great questions. And I would say this is where fate happened again in my life. And so at that time, just like now, we did a lot of work with Lily. And Lily was really a pioneer in the Midwest for how they were changing their workspaces. And by that, I mean, they they recognized that there was not truly diversity in how people worked in terms of different types of spaces. So they were one of the first organizations to recognize in the Midwest that people need really a variety of spaces to help them to do their best work. And by that, I mean, like you need spaces to focus, you need spaces to collaborate, you need spaces just to rejuvenate, all different kinds of spaces. So they were really trying to create a a really uh, a finely crafted set of spaces that people could choose from rather than just having one dedicated workstation or office. And it was a very novel concept then, not so novel now, but I was not the salesperson on that on that account, but the salesperson that was on the account was on vacation. And so she said, hey, Lily wants to meet with us about writing some protocols for their new space because this is going to be a big deal for their employees as they change. Oh. Can you help them? I said, absolutely. I'd be glad to help. I was in a marketing role at that time and had written protocols for other clients. So I met with the Lily team and they did want those protocols, but they wanted so much more. They really wanted mm-hmm. what they called change management management. And they said, okay, you know us from a cultural perspective. You've been working with us a long time. Your company knows us pretty well. You've been helping us build our furniture solutions for these new pilot spaces. 
can you provide change management for us? And I said, I heard myself say, yes, we can. And of course, I had no idea what they meant. I really didn't. I had no idea. And so I started asking some questions because I did tell them we could do it, but I wanted to really make sure that I knew what they were talking about and really what they meant. They didn't want to create these great spaces, these wonderful new environments that were very flexible and full of choice. They didn't want to just create those environments and just throw employees into that environment. They wanted those employees to really get some support as they moved into that space. And so what they wanted us to do was to help them to have a great space and to be kind of their on-site concierge or triage, if you will, as they moved into that space. And that way they could get acclimated just that much faster to this new environment because they were going to have new types of technology. They were going to have new space types, really just new ways of working. So they wanted us to show those employees how to do their best work in those spaces and it was a tremendous opportunity. And i that's one of those things I'm always so grateful that I said yes, because it really gave me an opportunity to think much differently about the work that our company had been doing. And it gave me an opportunity to, to really add value to clients in a, in a way that we had never done before. So if you think about that, for all those years, we've been creating these spaces but we really didn't think about how employees might actually use them when they moved in. I mean, yes, we thought about it hypothetically, but we got a chance to see really sitting in the front row, watching how those employees use that space and really showing them how they could do it better and work better. And so it's funny when Lily does something, everybody else wants to know how and why and what and Lily was, of course, gracious enough to refer you know, us to other companies for change management. And that's really how Corio was born. So Corio stands for choreographing change in business. And it's really change management that's really very specific to helping people work better in their spaces and really to maximize the potential of that investment of that space. And so we started with Lily and just grew into lots of other clients uh, around Indiana, even some other national and global situations. So it was, it's been a lot of fun. And and as a part of that journey, not only did we do change management, but we started doing workplace research. And by that, I mean, sometimes clients will say, well, how many conference rooms do I need? I've got three now. How many should I have in the future? Oh, okay. And so we, so we had a whole type of, uh, we have a whole type of workplace research that we provide that really helps you to have a more prescriptive approach to what types of spaces that you need. And it's great research. It's really kind of people-centered, human-centered research, but it's also has a very objective part of it. So it's, it's kind of the best of subjective and objective research. And it really helps you to dial in very specifically to what types of spaces do you need? How many of them do you need? And it's really all based on the information that we gather from leaders and individual contributors in a company. And so it, that's been a great experience, too, because it's another way that we can add value and uh, partner with a client to make sure they have the kind of space that really does help them to do their best work so they can achieve their business results. So that's Corio. So that started in 20, 2008, still going strong, now just a part of business furniture. So... Well, so I there there's actually there's three or four things in there that I that I picked up on as you were talking, and I think first and foremost, so well, first for our uh, listeners who aren't in the Indianapolis market, when Mary Beth says Lily, she's talking about Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical organization. Yes. But w- what I love that you pointed out is that even though Eli Lilly 
was doing it a certain way. And it's fantastic that other organizations were looking at that saying, Eli Lilly's doing it. Maybe we should pay attention. Uh-huh. Their, their solution on how they do it inside their own organization may or may not be the same as how Lilly's doing it. And it's really taking a look at your workforce, right? And yeah, and it really is. Industry. Like with the with yeah, with the workplace research, I mean, we always think it should start with some type of a visioning session with leaders because I, I hate to see it when somebody just buys a bunch of furniture to put in their space, but that's not really that that space isn't connected to their overall strategy for their business. It has to be connected to your strategy. And by that, I mean, you know, what is your organization trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do better? Is that attract better talent? Is that retain talent? Is that making decisions faster? Is that being more innovative, like in more innovative product solutions you're trying to create? So whatever your goals are as a business it's really important to make sure that your space can help you to achieve those goals. Because if you don't do that, you're basically investing in your space, which is right, probably for most Mm -hmm. people, either your first or second largest cost. So I think it's very important that that space supports your business results. But to your point, every organization is different. And, you know, it's really important to understand what matters to you and your company, what are your goals, and then create a space that supports that and support your people. And that that is really different for every organization. Every organization we've ever worked with has a has a different spin on how they make that happen. And I want to I want to put in a pin in that and we'll come back to that and dig a little deeper into it because I know we've got some more to talk about there, but the other things that I wanted to point out was that listening to your client right? And and paying close attention to the questions they're asking and the things that they're saying they're needing uh, could very easily open up a new opportunity inside your organization that wasn't even on your radar. Because I, I my question would be, is was that kind of thing on your radar prior to that initial meeting with Eli Lilly? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, I had never really even given it that much thought. And now to me, it's just like breathing. It makes so much sense. I mean, I think if you're going to create, if you're going to create a brand new work environment for your team, they do need some type of change management to help them to understand how to use that space. Because Mm -hmm. if you build that space, but you're not explicit about how you want people to use it or how their work needs to change, they probably won't know how to do it. I mean, I think as human beings, we want to know what's expected of us. So a lot of it is just about communicating with them and showing them new ways of working that of how they'll work in the new space. And it really just helps you to maximize that investment. So that way, you know, what you've created will get utilized in the way that you had created it, you know, and, 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 Uh you know, you're, you're going to achieve the goals that you want to achieve with it. But I I had not thought about it at all. I mean, I really, you know, for all those years being in our industry, I just hadn't thought about that. And I I give them total credit for really, you know, making the light bulb go off in my in my brain. And I don't even want to think about what would have happened had you not been at that meeting. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I am known to kind of be a little bit of a, you know, I like to take calculated risks and I like to try new things. And, you know, I like to try to say yes to our clients whenever we can, because I feel like that's part of being a good partner. You know, when a client has a problem or a challenge, I think a good partner helps them to solve that problem. And so I'm glad they put that problem out there and I had the opportunity to try to solve it and help them. You know, I, I, um, it's, it's interesting how I'm doing these interviews now. And um, it's just so interesting how certain things fall in front of me because I have a client right now asking me to do something that I typically don't do. 
uh, and I've never done. And they keep saying, but we know you can do this for us. We know you can do this for us. And so my initial reaction was to say, stay in your swim lane, Starla. Don't, you know, don't put, you know, don't step out there and, and, and confuse yourself and confuse the work that you're doing and, and bite off something that you might not be able to do. But now as I sit here and think about what you're saying, it was very much a natural extension of the work that you guys were doing at business furniture anyway, it, it really was. was the evolution of, of your work. And so the question now I'm asking myself is, is, is what they're asking me to do an evolution of my work? Maybe, maybe not, but now you've given me something to think about over the weekend. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I mean, I think sometimes, um, you know, you're providing value to a client and there are just probably other ways that you can add value that you've never even thought about. And so, trying to understand a client's pain points, I think can really help you to dial into other ways, right? Other ways to grow and expand your value to them and to be a good partner. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, well, let's get back to our timeline here. So you co-founded Corio. you get yes. that up and running, you're helping organizations with workplace research and change management. And then all of a sudden you become CEO of business furniture as well. So when did that happen and how did all that transpire? Yeah. So I became our CEO in 2016. So at that time, there was still Corio and Business Furniture. So I maintained a dual role with both companies. And really what would hap had happened, um, my husband, Dick, who I know you know, mm -hmm. um, he basically, he had purchased Business Furniture in 1987. And so he had remained involved as our chairman and then our chairman emeritus. He had a long history in our industry before he bought Business Furniture. And so you know, we had started talking, you know, let's talk about succession here. And so I think the plan had always been, he thought at the point in which he decided to retire, he's 25 years older than I am. At the point in which he th wanted to retire, that would be a good chance for me to start to, you mm -hmm. know, move into a leader leadership position at Business Furniture. So that's what I did. And so before I became CEO, I also led our sales team and you know, I kind of took on more responsibilities within leadership at Business Furniture before coming becoming the CEO. And it's very interesting because our leadership styles are extremely different. You know, I, I always <laughs> think about him as one of my heroes in business. I mean, not only is he my husband on a, per, on a personal note, but professionally, just one of the greatest mentors I've ever known. I mean, just such a smart, savvy business person. So, but our leadership style is very different. I mean, I think he would tell you that, you know, I have a much more of a collaborative type of a leadership style. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting as he kind of watches me make decisions and watches me run the company. You know, there are probably things that he would do the same, maybe things that he would do differently. And so I feel like I had a good foundation just from learning from him, though. So, you know, it was it was kind of interesting, though, when when I started, you know, running the company, because I felt like you know, my background has always been in sales and marketing, kind of more the client facing side. So I did have a lot to learn about the financial mm -hmm. side of our business and the operational side of our business. And I feel better now, seven years later, that I've really learned a lot about those other parts of our business. And I'm very much, though, a believer of, of strength based leadership, strength finders, strength based leadership. And I know that my value to the company is in that client facing side. But I think when you are the CEO or the leader of a company, it helps you at least to have some knowledge and some comfort level with other parts of the organization. So I feel like in the past seven years, that's what I've been spending my time doing, like still doing what I do best on the client facing side, mm -hmm. but also just giving myself the permission to learn what I need to learn 
about the operations and the financial side of our business. So it's yeah, been a I've- fun journey. Absolutely. And I think that's part of any good succession plan is anytime you're preparing somebody for that transition, they really do need to have a really strong understanding, both vertically and horizontally, the organization and how it functions. But at the same time, you you made a very important point that I'm constantly sharing with all of my clients is that you're not going to be the expert in all of those areas. No. And the good news is, is you don't have to be, but you do have to surround yourself with those experts. I used to always think as I, you know, as I would hear the word CEO, I thought that must mean that you must just be a financial wizard and that's your background and that's what you have to be really strong in. And I've realized now, just like what you were saying, you can't be great at everything. And that's why I think strength finders help me so much just mm-hmm. to really, you know, really think about my my five to 10 top strengths and how do I bring those to work with me every day to make a difference? And it really is a game changer when you think about it like that. But yeah, so I, I had the great opportunity to become the CEO about seven years ago, and um, I'm loving it. Every day is different. I don't think there's ever been two days that are the same. And I feel like I'm very fortunate because I I really try to focus on, I want to have a company. I want to build a company where employees want to work and where clients want to do business. I mean, I think those two things are really, really important to me. Yeah. And you guys do a phenomenal job over there. I I tell you, you guys are always, I I think you guys are the gold standard when it comes to developing a culture and really living out what you say you're going to do. Thank you. You guys are spectacular at that. Well, culture matters. I mean, I think it matters for your employees, but it also matters for your clients. You know, I feel like you really have to have a great client experience and also a great customer experience, but I feel like you you, you can't have one without the other. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something I've learned. Well, especially in the work that you guys are doing. I, I mean, if I was if I was one of your clients, I, I would be paying close attention to how you interact with your people and how you create experiences for you, your people, because you're going to come in and tell me how to do that. I want to yes. make sure that you, you're the one that, that is an expert at it and doing it yourself, oh, right? Walking the talk. That's so true. That's so true. It's got to be authentic, right? So yeah. out of curiosity, and, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, your top five strengths, do you do you have those at the top of your head that you could share? Off because the top of my head, I do. Great. Yeah, I do. So the first one, I know this is going to shock you, Starla, but it's woo. So winning others over. That's my, yeah, I know that's shocking. It's just so surprising that that would be my top strength. So woo and then positivity Mm -hmm. and then communication and then arranger and then relater. Those are my top five strengths. And if I think about the days when I come to work and I'm the happiest, I am working in those five strengths. That is really where I feel like I do my best work and I'm so happy. So we had a client presentation today and in that presentation, I was kind of feeling myself leveraging all five of those strengths and it feels really good. You know, I feel like that's how you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? When it feels good and you're having fun. Yep. And that's what the Strengths Finder is all about. It's sticking in with your uh, strengths as much as you possibly can, because that's where the best of you is, is going to come out and that's where you're going to shine and you're going to be happiest. Yes. Absolutely. So anybody that's out there listening, if you have strengths that are similar to Mary Beth's, that's a good indicator that, you know, you could, you get get to the highest levels with those strengths. You can get to the highest levels with those strengths. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let's, let's kind of move forward the timeline here. So you, you became CEO in 2016 and then Mm -hmm. in 2021, business furniture became a woman owned business. So what instigated that? 
So at that point, once again, as a part of our succession plan, my husband, Dick, had decided that he was going to retire completely out of ownership. Hmm. So at that time, I became the majority owner. And then my stepdaughter, Suzanne Bentley, she's also an owner with me. And uh, so the two of us own the company. And we became a woman-owned business enterprise. And so we're 100% woman-owned. And then we are also WBE certified. So super excited for that milestone. It's something we both really wanted. I am so blessed to have her as a business partner. We're kind of the yin and the yang to each Mm -hmm. other. You know, we definitely have different strengths. And they work well together, but very different strengths. And so it's just a joy to get to work with her. So we've been good friends. I think we met originally in 1994. So next year will be our 30th anniversary of, of being friends and working together. So that's that's been just a joy. Yeah, I would say that if you guys have found a way to make this work in, in 30 years, you're, you're, in, you're in good shape. <laughs> I think we're in good shape. So, and like I said, we're so different. I mean, just have very different styles, different, you know, different strengths. If you look mm-hmm. at Suzanne's, you know, strengths, they're very different than mine. And it, it's great, I think, because I feel like we both have a great perspective on how to run the business. So that's, that's good. That's fantastic. So now let's fast forward to 23, because you've had some yes. big things happen this year. I have here on my, in my notes that in 23, this year, Corio became a part of business furniture. And so now you guys are business furniture and company. Yes. And so let's just talk a little bit about that shift, because I think to the outside world, business furniture and company, business furniture and Corio, those of us that know you and are familiar, we, we know what both of those entities are. We know that they've always been connected. But so so what was the purpose behind that change, bringing Corio in under business furniture? And if I'm describing that incorrectly, please correct me. No, that is correct. So basically now the Corio team, is a part of business furniture. So that team still exists. They still do all the great work that they've been doing since 2008, but they are officially a part of business furniture. For us, it was just really a matter of efficiency and kind of combining the strengths of both organizations together. As you had mentioned earlier, the Corio services really are a complement to the work that business furniture does. Mm -hmm. And so it really, I think by having the two companies under one roof, it just gives us very much of a holistic approach on how we can deliver value to a client, meaning that, you know, we can help that client develop their strategy. We can help them to put together products that bring to life that strategy into the workspace vis-a-vis the furniture that we sell. We can help their employees to manage through that change, to navigate, navigate through that change. You know, so it's really kind of a soup to nuts approach on how we can add value to a client. And so it, it feels really good. I love it that that Corio team is thriving and doing great just now as a part of business furniture. So, and then right on the heels of that, and this yeah. is the most recent thing. And I know you guys are super excited about it and I cannot wait to get over and see it. I haven't seen it yet, yes. but uh, you guys opened your first hybrid research showroom in Indianapolis. And I'm going to read this so that I make sure I get it correct here. Uh-huh. It's a fully functioning hybrid office, including state-of-the-art video conferencing technology, focus rooms designed for virtual calls, and an unassigned mobile work environment, unassigned mobile work environment to meet the needs of remote and hybrid employees. So what I thought we would talk about next is is why you started up that office 
or why you, I would say, renovated that office to create that, that hybrid research showroom. But before we do that, I want to read a quick excerpt from your most recent newsletter. Okay. Because when I read, I read this newsletter, I, I thought these, these three paragraphs are very, very powerful paragraphs. And I thought it would be a great way to kind of introduce the conversation of hybrid work really what that is, what it can look like, and when do we need to really think about bringing people into the office? And when we bring them into the office, what does that environment need to look like? So I'm going to read this real quick, and then we'll jump into that conversation. Despite employers' best efforts to entice everyone back to the office with free snacks and fun events, people are dragging their feet. Surprise, surprise, right? Their reluctance isn't about COVID. If you look at the data, far more people have been to a restaurant, movie theater, or traveled on an airplane than who have gone to the office, according to the Castle Back to Work barometer. People's resistance doesn't seem to be about flexible work either. Hybrid work has been embraced by 71% of global leaders, giving people the option to work two to three days from home or other locations. Theories about why they're hesitant to return to the office range from the dread of work clothing, and I have heard that, to long commutes, I've heard that as well. But maybe the most obvious reason is being overlooked. Do people believe anything has really changed if everything looks the same? In offices around the world, organizations have adopted hybrid work policies, but haven't changed their offices to support the new realities of hybrid work. Some say they're waiting until employees are back in the office to make the change, but hybrid work means people will come and go at different times. And without changes, the office is likely to feel empty and to lack energy. And I've heard that as well. After two years of isolation, who wants that? Hybrid work policies will work better if an organization's space changes in tandem. And I can't tell you, Mary Beth, in the conversations that I've had with people, I'll, you know, I'll ask them, are you working from the office today? Are you, you know, at home today? And they will be like, yeah, I go into the office, but you know, I'm the only one there or <laughs> it's just dead. It's quiet. It's, it's no fun to be in the office, but I prefer to be in the office because I don't want to deal with everything that I, you know, the realities of having to work from home. And so when I read that, that newsletter, I was just like, man, this really hits home for me that yes, we can offer hybrid work, but along with that, we've got to create an environment that brings people into the office and makes them say, I want to be here today. So let's talk about, let's just, we'll back up now. We'll go to the showroom that you guys yes. have created and tell us all about that, you know, from start to finish. Tell us why you did that and, and how it's working and, and what you hope to accomplish. Well, to kind of like start with where we were, I mean, so if you even go back to 2016, we moved into the building we are now. And it's interesting because the previous building where we were from, I think, 20 or let's see, 1996 through 2016, great building, amazing space. But we really, because of technology changing and how we were working was changing, it was a lot more space than what we actually needed. And so when we moved into this building where we are now in 2016, we, I want to say we gave up about, I would say about 11 to 12,000 square feet of space. We got down to about 14,000 square feet of space. And what we were trying to create back in 2016 was an environment that really did have more places for focus, more places for collaboration. And at that point in time, 75% of our team became unassigned. And they became unassigned because we wanted to make sure 
that we had the right types of spaces, but we didn't feel like we still needed 25 or 26,000 square feet. And what happened when, when the Corio team started looking at how we were all working business furniture and Corio, we determined that at that time, 75% of us typically throughout the day were either in meetings or we were in and out of our space in client meetings but basically we weren't sitting at a at an individual assigned desk right because we were mm-hmm. up and around moving and so 75% of us became unassigned okay so then you you flash forward to the pandemic and you know once the pandemic happened of course there was a short period of time where we worked a lot from home and then we started coming back and our hybrid strategy became we wanted people in our office 3 days a week we have a lot of people that come more than 3 days a week but you know sometimes people ask me, how do you get started with a hybrid strategy? And I always say, start with why. What is the why? Why do you want your team to come back? What's the why? And so Mm -hmm. for us, the why was really twofold. I mean, first of all, it's the business that we're in. So I felt like we had a responsibility to show other organizations how you can create a work environment that supports hybrid work. I felt like we had a responsibility to do that and to do it well. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think it's our culture. I feel like during that time when we were not in the office as much, I felt like we lost empathy for each other. We were losing connections, not always necessarily within a team, but between teams, like those bonds that were always so strong were starting to get weaker. And it just, you could feel it. It was like a palpable, like, you know, kind of our culture just was not the same, didn't have the same energy, didn't have the same strength, didn't have the same connectivity really. And I was really concerned about that. So our why is really about it's the business that we're in and it's the culture of our company that we're better when we're together. And so that's how we got started with three days a week or more. And so we went down that path, but then we realized our space was not supporting us as well as it once did because there were oftentimes pockets of the space that were not being utilized. So we felt like we could do better. So we went back with our research hats on and tried to really understand, you know, doing a lot of research with our team to understand what a great hybrid environment would look like. And what we learned, same kind of a thing, that people wanted to be connected with their teams, but yet still have the flexibility to work to work where they wanted to work within the building. And, you know, we really kind of built it around five work modes. So the five work modes are focus, collaboration, rejuvenation, learning, and socialization. So if you think about those five work modes, you know, our job became to think about now that we're working in a hybrid way, what types of spaces do we need now to support those five work modes? And that's how we came up with it. I mean, we did a lot of research on this and our, our kind of end result was that everybody now is not assigned. So nobody has an assigned desk, not myself, not anybody. I mean, we just, that's because that isn't, because we're hybrid, we didn't feel like that was the best way to use our space. But instead, we all have an assigned neighborhood. And the neighborhood that you're assigned to is really based on the kind of work that you do. And so we kind of built it like, if you think about like our our social hub area and the area where you first walk into our building, we call that our Grand Central Station because people are kind of coming and going you know, it's, it's like just kind of like our hub of activity, right? It's our Grand Central Station. And then we have a city neighborhood and the city neighborhood is probably where you would find me. It's sales, it's marketing, it's our design team. These teams all tend to be very client facing and kind of in and out of meetings. So that's our city neighborhood, our urban neighborhood. And then we have what we call our suburbs and that's our operations team. 
They need a little bit more space. Obviously, space is more of a premium in the city neighborhood, bigger spaces in the suburbs, <laughs> but it's so they can kind of spread out drawings and things they might be working on in operations. And they're kind of connect the connector between the rural neighborhood or the, the country neighborhood, the countryside neighborhood and the city. So that's our ops team. And then you have our countryside or rural neighborhood, and that's our finance team. And that's our client services team. So they tend to do a lot of individual heads down focused work. And so that work, that, that area tends to be a little bit more quiet and it's the furthest neighborhood away from Grand Central Station. And so the thing is, they're, they're neighborhoods, but they're not gated communities. So they're definitely a neighborhood. Everybody has an assigned neighborhood, but they're not gated communities. So a lot of times, if I need to do like individual focused work, but I don't want to go into an enclosed room, I'll go back to that, that, that rural countryside neighborhood and I'll find a place to work back there where I can sit down, have some quiet and do some focus work. And so that is how we decided, you know, to really leverage our space. So each one of those neighborhoods has places for individual work. It has places for collaborative work. And then we also have a whole nother set of spaces that are more of a like traditional enclosed spaces for focus and enclosed spaces for collaboration. So we really just tried to create this whole ecosystem of different types of spaces that best support hybrid work when we're in the office. Now, I will also say what we wanted to do, because we also learned from our employees that what they liked about working from home was how it felt. It, it felt less formal. It felt comfy, cozier. It just had maybe more choice in where you were working and how you were working, but it really wanted to, they wanted it to feel like home. And so we've added a lot of touches of home. So like, for an example, we have a whole wall that features all of our pets. So we had an artist that did like sketches of everybody's, you know, dog or cat. And then we made a whole wall of those sketches. And so it feels like home. You, you look up there and you see your pets and other people's pets and it feels like home. And, you know, we each neighborhood is kind of decorated with the artifacts that mean something to that team. We want it to feel comfortable and like a place you want to be. It almost reminds me, I, I had a friend of mine in the commercial real estate business. He said that your workspace should be a magnet, not a mandate. And I thought that was such a good way of putting it. You know, we want people to be really drawn into this space because they want to work here. We want our guests to come and say, oh, my gosh, I want my space to be like this. This feels so good. This feels like a Saturday morning where it feels good. You know, it feels like anything is possible, you know, so it's a place you want to be. Like a Saturday morning. I like that. Yeah. So that is what we created and our employees really love it. We opened it to the employees back in April and then we opened it kind of publicly just a few weeks ago in June. And so far, so good. It's, it's gotten a great response, you know, internally and externally. So you'll have to come and see us. I cannot wait. I'm going to put that on my calendar here yes. soon. Yes. So I've got a few questions about the neighborhoods. What led to the decision to create neighborhoods? Because that's that's such a unique approach. I've never heard that before. Uh, and it just seems so innovative. So how did you even get to that decision? And then are there protocols that come with each neighborhood? Because I know that you said you've got, you've got the neighborhoods and you've got the, the, the kind of the design to facilitate a, a, a certain type of work, but like a new employee coming in, would I be told, okay, now on the countryside, <laughs> Darla, you need to keep it down, right? If you go back to the countryside, Starla, you're going to have to lower your voice and relax and bring the energy down so that everybody there can focus on their work. Are there protocols that come 
come with each neighborhood. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in terms of how we got to neighborhoods, I mean, it kind of started with everybody's personal experience at home, right? I mean, most people really like where they live and they like being a part of a neighborhood. Maybe they feel like they're a part of a community where they live. And so we just wanted to extend that into our workplace because we feel like it's important I I do think whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, people do want to belong. They want to feel connected to something. Mm -hmm. And so we felt like it was important to give people that chance to have an assigned neighborhood where they know when they're in the office, that is a place where they can connect with their team so they can continue to foster and build community. And we felt like it made sense to, to build those neighborhoods around the type of work that you do. But we also know that you don't always work in the same way all day. I mean, it goes back to those five work modes. There are times when you really just want to collaborate or times when you want to focus. I mean, you just, there's different things you're trying to accomplish throughout the day. And I'm a believer that it's not a one size fits all. There, there probably is not one space type that can give you access and uh, of a place to work for all of those five work modes, right? It's right. That's why it's important to have variety. But to your point, I mean, if we think about those different neighborhoods, you know, like definitely we we work with the choreo team and we had change agents. So there was a change agent that represented every department or team in our company. And those folks really came together to build the protocols for how we use spaces. So like one thing, for an example, we really are trying to encourage our team to take a break when you're having lunch, right? And so come into the hub and enjoy your lunch there because sometimes people eat at their desks and not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, going back to those five work modes, everybody needs that chance to rejuvenate and for some social time with their colleagues. You know, that was one of our protocols that we don't eat at the desks, right? And so another protocol is, is just being mindful of the noise level, just based on where are you working? And so because that countryside neighborhood tends to be people that are doing individual focused work, you know, we do try to be quieter in that neighborhood. And you may say, well, gosh, isn't some of that intuitive? And I think it goes back to the theory once again, that as human beings, we generally want to know what to expect. If you can tell us what's expected of us, most people want to do what's expected and do the right thing. And so I do think it's important to create those protocols so that everybody knows what to is to expect. But I also think that as the CEO, it's, it was not my job to create the protocols because I really do believe people don't destroy that which they help to build. And I wanted that to be led by by our change agents. I wanted them to say what protocols that they think were most important to have in place. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. People don't destroy what they help to build. That's right. I mean, if you have a stake in it and you've been a part of something, you're just not likely to tear it down. You know, you're likely to support it and try to help it to grow. Let's let's go back through the five work modes because those yeah. uh, those that are listening, I want to make sure they were able to uh, capture them, and I want to make sure we're all on the same page as to what these five work modes on are. The first one you mentioned was focus mode, and I think that that's probably relatively clear. That's when your head is down and you're just really doing some um, cognitive work yeah. that is requiring some thinking and some silence. Yes. You want, you want to concentrate. I mean, you want to focus, you're, you're working on something, you're, it's a project where you just have to crank something out by yourself. 
And I guess I would also say, even before we talk about all the modes, it'd be interesting. It's like an interesting exercise for a group to do, or even an individual. Like if you, you know, try to divide your day into percentages, like what percentage of the time do you collaborate? What time, what percentage do you focus? What percentage of the time do you rejuvenate? What socialize, learn what, you know, those five modes, everybody's different. You know, I've done that exercise with leadership teams before, and it really is always so interesting to me that every leader kind of works in a slightly different way where they break their day down differently. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's the trick of really trying to understand your team, you know, how much time do they need to collaborate? How much time do they need to focus as a whole, right? So you always have those types of spaces ready. But yeah, the first type focus, then collaboration. I mean, in collaboration, I, I sometimes I used to think it just meant talking to each other. But really, I think of collaborating when you're creating something, when you're co-creating something when you're working together on something, right? It's that's Mm -hmm. what collaboration is. And, you know, I think sometimes collaboration means that you're looking at content or working on content, creating content. Sometimes it means you're brainstorming, you're visioning, you're trying to solve a problem. I mean, there's so many things that happen when people collaborate and connect. And there's just a lot of good work, right, that happens there. I mean, you know, it's, it's easy enough for a person as they're focusing or concentrating to have an idea. But if they don't get that idea connected with a person or another group of people, how does that idea really ever come to fruition into something that you're trying to, you know, launch or make happen, right? So that collaboration is important. You know, the next part is socializing. I'm, I'm a big believer in developing social capital within your team and getting to know people. And I think that's where trust happens. And I think trust is such an important part of a culture. And I think it's hard to have trust when you don't really know each other and Mm -hmm. just connect as human beings. So I think that social part is something that you just can't underestimate in terms of how critical it is to a strong culture. And then we also look at learning, right? I mean, I know that there's a lot of learning that takes place. And sometimes that learning is individual. Sometimes that learning is as a group. But I think it's important to have spaces where people can learn either individually or together. And then the final one is just rejuvenation. I mean, sometimes you're overloaded, your brain is fried, and you just need a moment to rejuvenate. You just need a moment. Like we have an outdoor area, which I think is a great place to go to rejuvenate. We have an outdoor space that overlooks a nature preserve, and we have a little deck out there. And when the weather is nice, it's just a great place to step out and take a deep breath. And, you know, I know some people do meditation spaces or like a yoga room or just something where you really can just take a mental break Mm -hmm. where you're not talking, you're not interacting with somebody, you're just reflecting, you're meditating, you're thinking, having spaces that really give you that opportunity so important, you know, so you have a place to go. I agree. And I would, I'd like to like maybe dig a little deeper into that because I think what you just said is incredibly important and everyone listening, I, I really encourage them to, to hear it and consider it because I will tell you that I have a handful of clients that their number one priority is productivity. And when they think uh-huh. of productivity, I want my people on site and I want them working all the time. I want them squeezing out the highest ROI they can possibly get out of every minute of the day. And I, I find myself going around around with some of these clients because I'm like, you're going to your your attrition is going to be so high, you're going to burn people out. But yet we still have lots of leaders out there that think that way. So the rejuvenation, how do you when you're talking with your clients and you're you're talking to them about these five work modes and you're my suspicion are that you're really encouraging them to think about these five work mo- modes and to build spaces for this when you get pushback on that rejuvenation. 
space? Why do we need this? How do you normally handle that? Or, or what kind of conversations do you have that help leaders understand the true value of rejuvenation? I think you could probably go back to any type of research that's been done recently, just about the human mind and how people get burned out. I have read articles and studies about how when you actually just even take a five minute break, just to clear your mind, you really come back with so much more mental energy and so much more capacity Mm -hmm. to do whatever you were doing before. And so there really has been a lot of research, especially about the value of meditation. Even if you did that five to 10 minutes a day, it's, it's just giving your brain a chance to really rejuvenate and to feel better and to function better when you give your brain truly a chance just to disconnect. So I guess that's what I would say. I mean, I think that people can be even more productive and, and accomplish more, you know, when they do have a mental break. And I think that mental break doesn't have to be an hour. It can be it can be five minutes, 10 minutes. I mean, I don't think we ever advocate for saying, you know, take a mental break of, of an hour or two hours or three hours, just a snippet of time just to really refocus, rebalance, take a deep breath. And de-stress. so that, that re that rejuvenation space, what does that kind of look like at business furniture then the, the space that you've built for that? What, what does that look like? Well, I would say there are different spaces where you could go in our environment where you could be by yourself. And and I guess that's another good point I'd like to make. I'm a big believer that I think it's great when you create a space that can do more than one thing. So let's say, for an example, that you go into one of our focus rooms. It's a great place for focused work. You can get a lot of individual work done, but you could also rejuvenate in there. You could go in there and close your eyes and you could meditate. You could sit in a comfortable chair and sit there and meditate. So I always love it when it's a space that we've created that can do more than one of those work modes. So, you know, we have collaborative spaces that can be used as a place for just where one person can work and get individual work done. So I think it's nice when those spaces really work hard and they can do more than one thing. You know, we have, we have a space we call, it's our Brody. uh, And it was, it was built, it was developed by Steelcase for the brain and the body. And it's basically, so that's how they got the name Brody, but it's basically a lounge chair, but it's got like a, a divider around it. And it's even got like an ottoman where you can put your feet up And we have it facing outdoors. So you can see our nature preserve outside. And I mean, that's a great place where you could do focused work, but it's also a great place where you can close your eyes and meditate and just take a deep breath. So, so we have different spaces that, you know, definitely could be used for that rejuvenation. They typically tend to be spaces that are are spaces that are individual spaces where you could toggle from concentration to rejuvenation pretty easily. I'm so glad you made that point because, again, what we're looking at is the the individuality of each of your employees and what one space may work for rejuvenation for one employee, but another space might not be ideal. But so having spaces that can meet different needs is really the way to go. It is. It is. And and we definitely have worked with clients that have built like a like a small meditation room and you know, somebody can go in there and just disconnect. I have a client actually that built a nap pod. They had a nap, a nap pod in their space, thinking that if somebody can go and spend 30 minutes just taking a quick nap, that's also good for the mind. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's just great when, when organizations give consideration 
to work that happens outside of focus and collaboration. You know, the work being learning and sometimes sometimes just socializing and connecting with people and building stronger relationships so you have trust that fuels your culture. And I, and I think you're right. There's all kinds of research out there to help us understand how the the value of a power nap, right? I, yes. I'm not going to lie. There are times, you know, throughout the week that I will stop in the middle of the day and I will lay down for 20 or 30 minutes and it's exactly what I needed to pop right back up full of energy and to, to get through the rest of the day and research out there that supports that. We just have to have our hands on it. Yes. And I say, amen. I mean, I think you have to listen to what your body needs, right? And sometimes you just need to unplug and just take a break. Now I want to go back to a couple of things that you mentioned, because I think they're, they're very important. So I kind of want to emphasize them when you were talking about collaboration, collaboration does not equal meeting, right? No. Because some meetings can be virtual Mm-hmm. We're collaborating, but the just because it's a meeting doesn't mean that we need to be in person. Collaboration is really work where we're together, we're doing creative work, or we're really working through some problem solving yes. or strategizing. That's the kind of collaborative work where a lot of times in person is so much better than trying to do it virtually. It is. I mean, I think about the kind of work that or the kind of meetings that we have that have been virtual in the past couple of years, and they may stay virtual. So we do a monthly dashboard meeting with all of our employees and we do that virtually. And it's it's really like a 30 minute meeting or less where we just mm-hmm. go over our results from the previous months. We talk about our year to date results I'm a big believer in transparency. I want our employees to really understand how are we functioning as a business. I want them to always be in the loop so they can always be thinking about, you know, how they are making a difference to that, right? And so that is a virtual meeting because it's it's generally a report out. Like our VP of finance will report out those numbers and maybe our chief revenue officer will add some, you know, context about what all that means, or maybe I'll say a few words, or, you know, Suzanne, who's our president, will say a few words, but it's really reporting out. So I don't necessarily think that type of meeting, like where you're reporting something out Mm -hmm. and you're not necessarily looking for feedback, I think those are fine to be virtual. Now, I will say a couple of times a year, we do get all the employees together so we can be in person. Uh, But usually we also try to incorporate some type of an activity, a team building activity, you know, activities where they can really engage with each other. And so, so I, but I do think, I do think some meetings can be virtual and can be productive, but I think to your point, I find the most impactful in-person meetings tend to be where, you know, you're working, like you're, like you said, you're building a strategy, you're solving a problem, you're creating something, you're visioning, you're brainstorming. I think those types of meetings are really good when you can be in person and you can connect. So I know our leadership, we have a leadership team meeting every Thursday over lunch. And I love it when we can all be in person. We can't always be in person together. Sometimes one of us or a couple of us are remote, but I always feel so good when we can all be together because I feel like we can see each other's body language and, you know, we can have tough conversations. We can laugh, we can have fun and you're together. So Mm -hmm. I think there's something to that, you know? I would absolutely agree. And when you're together and you're taking a break, there are always those opportunities to have the the so-called water cooler conversations where, you know, we're bonding, we're, we're developing that trust that otherwise you're not doing if you're 
virtual and on break time, you turn off your camera and you go to the restroom or whatever. I mean, there's no bonding going on there. So we totally yeah. missed out on that. I mean, for us, our bonding is we have a business development meeting every Monday. And I love it because we always start the meeting out just by saying, you know, tell us something that really happened last week that was great. You know, tell us something that happened in your personal life or your professional life. Just tell us something, you know, and and it's just you learn so much about people. And I love it when people will share from their personal lives, too, because I, I think it's fun to get to know each other. And, you know, we love to have fun on our team. You know, we love to tease each other. We love to laugh, love to be silly. And when you get to be together like that, that's easier to do those things, you know, easier to laugh, have fun, get to know each other. And, and that body language thing, I feel like I miss that so much when we were spending some of our time working from home, because you can't always really tell how someone's doing or how they're reacting or how they're feeling when you're just yeah. getting emails or texts from somebody or even just seeing their face. You can't always tell what they're really thinking or feeling. Yep. I absolutely agree. So let's go, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, giving some guidance to clients who are thinking about how does my space need to change now that we're in this hybrid world? What are the key factors that they should be considering when they try to transition to a hybrid work model? Well, I think it's always first and foremost, good to have the why. I, I do think it's important for employees to understand why do you feel that it's necessary for them to come back? Because I think sometimes there could be a misunderstanding. Well, my boss or my CEO or my leadership team, they don't trust me. They don't trust me that I can get the work done. So I think it's really good to get that all off the table or on the table and just explain what is your why, define your why and make that a why that everybody is very clear on, right? So there's no question as to why people are coming back. And I would say then I would just probably do an assessment of the space and think about, do you have spaces, you know, for collaboration? Do you have spaces for people to be able to concentrate? Do you have good spaces for people to be able to connect and learn and, you know, socialize, rejuvenate? They really do like a, just an assessment of your spaces. Like, do you have those kinds of spaces and what does it feel like? Um, I'm a big believer in the research component, obviously. I think it's good to you know, get feedback from your team about what's working, what's not working. Not necessarily do they like your space or not like your space, but really when they're in the office, what is helping them to be productive and what is helping them not to be or causing them not to be productive. So I think it's always good to do a little research or a little intelligence gathering from your team, right? About mm -hmm. what they're looking for, what's working, what's not working. And, you know, you probably can learn a lot about, you know, what, what kinds of space people need. And then I think a big piece of it also is technology, doing an assessment of your technology tools, because, you know, we have a, something that we call uh, FUMIFOO, and FUMIFOO stands for First Use must inspire future use. So FUMIFOO. And so I th sometimes if, if an employee is trying to use the technology in a space, but it's not easy or an intuitive, you won't use it again, right? And so sometimes then that space won't get used because the technology in that space is not very intuitive or easy to use. And so I, I think it's what we call kind of, um, you're trying to braid together the digital and the physical space because 
most, you know, we do work with some clients that are hundred percent back in the office, no exceptions, but I would say most of the clients we work with have some form of a hybrid strategy going on. So when you have any form of a hybrid strategy, you have to have reliable technology so that you can, you know, make sure that it's an equitable experience for that person that's participating remotely. And uh, otherwise they're going to feel like they don't have the same opportunities as the people that are in person. So the technology is huge. So I think it's important to make sure you have a partner that can help you figure out that technology strategy. You raised a very good point. This hybrid work model means that we're, no matter what meeting we have, it's very likely we're going to have a handful of people that are in the office, but then we're going to have a handful of people that are not in the office and joining in virtually. So that automatically forces us to start to think about how does our technology need to change? What additional, excuse me, what additional technology is going to be necessary in these spaces to make sure we facilitate what you were just describing, which is those people that are tuning in virtually. We want that experience to also be um, as good as it possibly can. So can, can we dig a little more into technology and what you're seeing change in the market and what your clients are ultimately gravitating to uh, when it comes to technology? Well, I would say for us, I would say one thing that we have tried to do, we have tried to go into each one of our collaboration spaces and make sure that, you know, we can have, you know, cameras available because that way we feel like it helps if you can see each other. And that helps to kind of break down that, 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 that when you're not together, as long as you can see each other, you still feel more connected. So we had to kind of go back and re- retrofit our spaces to make sure that, you know, we have the capability of seeing each other. So I think that's been really, you know, super important. I know that, you know, we do a lot of work with Steelcase. That's the, that's the manufacturer we work with the most. And I know they have a product now called Ocular and it's kind of an interesting thing. It's like, it's like everybody is sitting on one side of a table and you're facing into the camera for the people that are remote. Mm-hmm. And I can't exactly explain it, but it really does make you feel like you're sitting across the table from them. So I think there's a lot of tools like that that are becoming more prevalent. So it feels real. So mm-hmm. like you see the person on the other side of the camera, but it feels like they're really there with you. So I think there are a lot of tools like that that are helping. But to me, it's just really important that you can also pop into the room and easily get the technology to work. So it's almost like the technology anticipates that you're coming in because you have a meeting scheduled via Teams and you can just touch a button and it pops on and it works really easily. Because I think when when it's that easy, people are drawn to that space where that technology is because it's that easy. It felt like to me before we started making some changes to our technology, there was a lot of frustration for the first 10 to 15 minutes of a meeting because everybody couldn't get logged on or we couldn't hear somebody or you know, it wasn't working properly. We couldn't, you know, it just the technology was not supporting us. And we really did have to step back and think about the investment that we wanted to make so that we could make sure that if we really were going to be hybrid and we'd have remote participants, Mm -hmm. we wanted them to feel like they were really in the meeting. I don't know about you, but I feel like before hybrid, if I was the person calling in remotely, it's almost like I felt like I was forgotten. Like they forgot I was in the room, right? In the virtual room. And Mm -hmm. when they can see me or they can see the person that's remote, you're less likely to not include them. Yeah, because ultimately that's going to end up working against you. We're offering this hybrid approach, but when you're hybrid, you feel really disconnected because it doesn't really feel like you're in this meeting. Yeah, so that you, you can't go through all of this and invest in all of this without upgrading your technology to take care of that. I'm curious though, because I, I know a, a common frustration is if if I'm tuning into a meeting 
and the rest of my, you know, a large portion of my team is all in one room, but uh -huh. uh, there's only one camera on the entire group. I can't really see, sometimes I can't really see like the, the, the group themselves or each individual. It, how are you guys getting around that so that those people that are hybrid can still see each individual that's in the room and hear each individual in the room? Is there is there a way right now to get around that? It comes down, I think, to the types of cameras that you use. And I that ocular product that I mentioned by Steelcase, they have really tried to address that. And it's how they're positioning the camera in the room so that you really do have a better angle where you can see people and they can see you. I'm certainly not the expert on that, but I do think there's a lot of good things coming down the pike on how that's getting better because, you know, we need to make it seamless, you know, so that you feel like you're sitting in the same room with somebody Absolutely. for really good collaboration. So, yes. I'm going to pivot the conversation here just a little bit. You know what? Before I do that, though, I do want to go back to a question that I wrote down as you were talking earlier. Um, any guidance you can give our listeners on when to assign office space and when not to? Because, um, you know, we just heard you say you guys are now 100% unassigned, which means when somebody walks in that office, they don't have a desk that belongs to them. They don't have an office, an actual office with a door that belongs to them. And I've actually had a couple of clients ask me, how do I decide who gets an assigned space and who doesn't? How do you, how do you make that decision? Well, I think it's a philosophy. I think it's really a philosophy about how you want to use your space and do you want to add space? Because I think a lot of times people feel like they need more collaboration space, for an example. But to do that, sometimes you have to, you know, get a bigger building or add on more space. And I guess, you know, if you are willing to do that as a business, I mean, that is fine. I mean, you know, my philosophy on how we leverage our space in our building might be different than another CEO's or another leader's, right? I think it's very, it's very much of your own business philosophy. And so I guess, you know, one thing that I always think is helpful, just if you're trying to understand how your space gets utilized, that's a part I know of workplace research that we do, other companies do this, but we actually do observation studies, like where we're trying to observe how spaces get utilized over a week-long period or a two-week-long period. And I think sometimes you can look at that and you can say, okay, wow, Mary Beth, I mean, you have a private office, but you're really only in there 20% of the time. And so I think that may or may not matter. I mean, in, in our world, it mattered to me because I felt like if, if everybody was going to have an assigned space, we may have to get a larger building or we might have to move. And I then I felt like on days when people are working remotely, it looked like we had chunks of empty spaces. And so to me, it just didn't you know really line up. So I was just trying to think about how to really better maximize the space that we have. Now, all that being said, I mean, I think for some organizations, they feel like offering somebody an assigned seat is almost like a perk or a benefit of coming back to the office from working from home. Mm. And, you know, so once again, I guess there isn't really a right or wrong way. I think it's just about trying to understand maybe, first of all, how does your space get utilized? And then making a decision on if you don't have the right types of spaces and you need to add more, do you feel like it's better to make those space, make individual spaces unassigned so that you can have more collaborative or focus areas? Or do you feel like maybe you just need more space so that you can ensure that everybody has an assigned space? 
So I guess there's not a right or wrong, but I would always start out just by trying to understand how does your space today get utilized? You know, as you were sitting here talking, I, I remember when I, when I first came into corporate America, space was, um, was a sign of status. It was, and it still is. I think for some organizations, it is a sign of status. And, you know, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think if that's the culture of a company and you want to assign space as a status, I mean, I think it just goes back to your culture. And if that feels good within your culture, then I would encourage somebody to do that, right? I mean, if that's the way that you want to leverage your space or or maximize your space. But I guess what I have learned, there is not, you know, one right or a wrong way. The way that we do it, you know, happens to be unassigned, but that may not work for everybody. So it just, it works for us. Do you think that we are starting to slowly move away from space as a, as a sign of status? Probably, maybe a little bit. I don't know. I mean, we still work with a lot of clients that want to have assigned private offices. I mean, we still, there are a lot of clients that we talk to that they feel like that's really important. That's valuable to their culture. You know, that's valuable to how people work. So I don't, I don't think we have really stepped away from it necessarily. I think to some people that is a sign of status and we, we've kind of even seen some, some solutions that fall somewhere in the middle. Like I know we have a client that they create what they call team rooms. And so for an example, the team room is technically owned by the leader of that team. Um, so when that team leader is in the office, they tend to use that space. But when they're not in the office, anybody can use that space. So mm-hmm. it's basically, it's a space that maybe the, the leader, it's it's their space, but they don't really personalize it. It's, it's just a space and it's even designed to like have a workspace that, you know, can support meetings and, and individual work, both types of things. But anybody can use it when that team leader is not using it. And so I thought that was kind of a clever way to make sure that a leader has a private space that they need when they're there, but yet when they're not there, it's not empty and other people can utilize it either for individual or collaborative work. Yes. So, I mean, I think there's even some unique ways to to solve space issues like that. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to answer that question because I know that that has come up in in some conversations that I have when I'm coaching leaders. They're really trying to think about what the, what the best approach is and, and they're just not entirely sure. One, do we need to have assigned space? And two, if we start unassigning spaces, what's the best approach for doing that so that um, we can make it a seamless transition? I do think if you are going to go to an unassigned approach, I do think it's helpful to be able to share that data with your team. So if you can share the data to say, hey, we observed our space over a week or two weeks. And during that time, you know, this is how the space was utilized. I do think it really is enlightening, probably more so now than ever, because people are hybrid. I mean, like on our team, let's say, like on the on average, an employee is here three days a week and they're not here two days a week. So let's say they had an assigned space, you know, two days a week, it wouldn't be used. I mean, so to some organizations that may not matter. I felt like for our organization, it did matter because we wanted to add a greater variety, more private spaces, more collaboration spaces. And by having that unassigned model, it helps us to be able to do that without having to add more real estate. Yeah. Well, talk to any business owner, they would cringe at the idea that they have this overhead for this space that they're that they're paying for. And it's only getting used 10, 15, 20 percent of the time. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure most business owners are going to be like, no, that's a problem. We need to address it. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, like I know in our building, like we just have decided that we want to really democratize private space because I think, you know, traditionally, if you think about how people were working 20 or 30 years ago, if you were a leader, you had a private space. 
like you had your own office, you know, mm-hmm. your own private space. And a lot of the times, though, individuals, they may still need a private space, either for heads down focused work. They need to have a private conversation with somebody. They need to have an argument with their spouse. I mean, they need they need a space where they can go. So I, I, I really do like the idea of democratizing space so that everybody has access to private spaces when they need it. You know, I think that feels really good. Well, let's let's finish up our conversation um, around when in-person is better. And I think we've probably touched upon this um, Uh, most of this, but I I was making a list the other day of when we really need people in person and Mm -hmm. when we can let them work virtually. And the list that I created actually lines up quite nicely with those five work modes that you you mentioned, because the first thing on my list was collaboration intensive task. If you have, and that's what we were talking about earlier, anything that requires intense collaboration, brainstorming, problem solving, strategizing. We and, and we really need people together for that. So that would be a reason to bring people together yeah. into the office. Yeah. And, and then in contrast to that, like when you think about like focused work, like I, I've heard a lot of people say that I do better focused work when I'm working from home because I don't have interruptions and disruptions. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard people say that I really have a hard time focusing at home because I get distracted by other things. So I think that's when it comes down to kind of more of a personal preference. I mean, and, you know, if people aren't doing their best focused work at home, you know, and they want to come to the office to do that, that's where it's important to make sure that they do have places to go where they really can do heads down focused work. And some work environments before COVID didn't really have a lot of those types of spaces. So I think that's a very popular space type right now. Yeah, I think that was a trade-off that we made w- during the pandemic when it was forced on us that w- we we brought our work home. Yeah, and all of a sudden the boundaries started to blur. In fact, I was on a Zoom call with a client yesterday, and she said to me, "Starla, I'm going back into the office five days a week. Otherwise, my marriage is not going to survive." And she said, I, "You know, I want to get back to a place where when I leave the office, I leave the work and I come home, and this is home." And I, because she said, I'm, I'm out of a, I don't have a, a home mindset anymore because my home is my now is, is my office. And I know lots of people listening are going to know exactly what we're talking about. And she said, I, I just really want my home to be a home. I don't yeah. want it to be my office anymore. Otherwise it's going to be my, it's going to be my office and I'm never going to, I'm not going to have a husband anymore. <laughs> Well, and I think a lot of people do appreciate flexibility. Like even before the pandemic, our team had the ability to work one day remotely from home if they chose to or wherever they chose to work remotely from. So I do think that people like that flexibility. But I, you know, like I said, I know a lot of people that don't do great work at home, you know, and they then some people say they like to do their individual work from home. So it probably depends on your own circumstances in your home office, right? I mean, Do you truly have privacy? Do you truly have a way to focus? Do you have all the tools that you need? I mean, you know, and is that your preference? I mean, on on how you work some of the time. So absolutely agree. So the the, the second thing I had on my list then when in-person is better is building and nurturing relationships. And I think that goes right back to the work mode of socializing. Yes. yes. um, You know, if I bring my people into the office and and I I go back to to the comment you made, which is I want it to be a magnet, not a mandate. Yes. Um, I think that 
if we can create a space where people know that when I come in, I'm not just coming in to work, I'm coming in to, to, to build relationships, to nurture those relationships, to bond. Um, and I know that I'm going into an environment that's set up to do that. I think it's going to be so much easier to, to, to pull them in rather than push them in to the office. Yeah. Think. I think, I think most employees that are happy and engaged have close connections with people at the office. It may not be every person on the team, but you do have close connections and close relationships with, with people, uh, you know, a few people on your team, you know, mm -hmm. and, or maybe more than a few, but you have close relationships of some sort and really hard to build those. It would be kind of like thinking about like you're, you, uh, you meet somebody, you start dating, but you just always are dating virtually online. And, you know, it's like, then you get married and you're still talking to each other online. It would just really be hard to understand how you can further and deepen that relationship. If you're doing that all online, it just, it doesn't, it can happen. I just think it probably happens much more slowly. And that, that relationship is probably very much at risk. I, yes. One simple thing yes. could really destroy that relationship yes. and it's easy to walk away from it. So in, in building and nurturing relationships, um, the reason we would bring people into the office then would be actual activities or mm -hmm. things that we're doing, celebrations, any kind of team building. That's when we would want to bring people into the office and make sure that we have space that's conducive to doing that, correct? Yeah, like spaces where you can enjoy meals together, when you can celebrate, you know, holidays, special occasions. You know, I think that's a great way to bring people together and to really build those relationships. And just to give people space one-on-one -on -one where they can spend time. Like I know we have a social hub and I think it's great to see people in there having lunch and connecting and talking and catching up. And it always just makes my heart happy to see that. And then the third reason to bring people our third reason when in-person is better uh, that I have here on my list would be the onboarding and training. If you bring a person on, on the team, right, you want to onboard them in person. And then there's some training that is just better in person. Not all training. A lot of training can be done virtually and that, that is sufficient. But some training actually does need to be in person. That's one of my biggest concerns. I'm so glad that we are talking about this before we wrap up. I just think I worry a lot about people that are missing opportunities for mentorship or that they're being onboarded into a, a new role, but yet they don't really have the kind of connections with people in the company to really build a strong rapport and strong relationship and to feel connected. Like you're really a part of the organization. I think without some in-person connection, that's really hard to do. I mean, we had employees that we hired during the pandemic and, a couple of them, you know, ended up not staying. And I truly believe that they did not get the same experience that other employees got when they first started. And I think it's just hard to have a, a virtual culture where, you know, new employees can really feel like they're a part of things and they're learning and they're growing and they're thriving. Mm -hmm. It's not to say they can't work virtually at all. I just think it's helpful when they can have interaction with each other in person when they, when they start working at our company. And I, I, I wish I would have captured this, but I did see some research come out a few weeks ago that showing that it was showing that the, the the growth and development of younger professionals who may just be fresh uh, fresh out of college um, it has has stalled because they're not in the office and getting those informal learning opportunities that we all got when we were working in the office five days a week, I mean, there's so much that you learn informally 
from just being present with other professionals, uh, especially those other professionals who have been there, done that, and have gotten to where you want to be, being in person with them, watching them, learning from them, and, and being mentored by them. A, a lot of these younger professionals are missing out on that because they're working from home and they just don't, that, that, that opportunity doesn't exist anymore. I was um, I was really inspired by one of our clients. She was telling me that, you know, when they hire a new person, that new person is expected to be in the office. I can't remember if she said four days or five days out of the week, but the majority of the time. And on top of that, the person's manager is also expected to be there that same amount of time and even other team members, because the idea is, is that new person needs to be surrounded by their manager and other mentors at least for that first year. And I really applaud them for, you know, really taking a stand there and, and trying to figure out what new employees need and being committed to giving them that. I, th I thought that was such a great, you know, and, and the same client had said to me during the pandemic, she said, I think we're maintaining people's skills are maintaining, but they're not growing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they changed that policy to make sure that when they had new people starting, that the right people were going to be around them every day. And yeah. I thought that was great. I mean, I thought that was a brave and a bold move and important, you know, so. Did they give you any insight into how they implemented that successfully? I think it was just defining the expectations and explaining the why, like we need you there, you know, as a new employee, we need you there and you're going to learn faster and grow faster and build stronger connections. And the same thing, you know, with the people that, you know, the person that manages them and the person, the people that work with them. I mean, they reflect back on their own career. They had those opportunities and that's why they're successful. And that's why they are where they are today. Right. And so we have to make sure that those other people have that same opportunity as a new employee. It's all about making it equitable. Right. So I thought that was really amazing. I, I haven't heard a lot of companies say that, but I thought that was very bold. And I really appreciate that they took that stand. I think that's interesting. And I suspect, uh, I can't prove this, but I bet the, you know, the research is going to start showing us this, that their retention is going to be so much better. I, my suspicion is, is that um, attrition rates are going to be higher for those organizations that are fully remote. I would agree. I would agree. I just think you just don't get connected to the culture, to the, to the, vi the vision and the values and the mission you, you just don't have that same access to it every day. So I agree. I, it may be a while before that study comes out, but I think it's going to come out eventually. I think so too. Yes. Okay. So to wrap up our list of when in-person is better, we talked about collaboration, intensive tasks, building and nurturing relationships, onboarding and training, and then access to specialized equipment or facilities. I think that's, that's fairly obvious. I mean, there's yeah. some jobs that you just can't do at home no. because you need the, the resources are at, at the office. That's true. And, and then addressing yeah. specific challenges, you know, things that are kind of off the wall or that kind of kind of points back to the problem solving. We have specific challenges. We need to bring our people together to work these things out. Yeah. Or like if there's a team that's not working together well, I think in-person time together can help. So yeah. to wrap up our conversation, any trends or predictions for the future of hybrid work? Where do you see this going? Given where we've been, where we are now, where do you think we're going to be in five to 10 years with hybrid work? Any thoughts there? I, I think it's still going to be around. I, I do think that organizations are going to continue to see the value of in-person work. 
Do I feel like we're ever going to go back to five days in the office? Like I said, we have some clients that do that, but I would say the majority of the clients that we work with are truly hybrid. And I think that's going to stay. I think most companies will ask employees to be there three to four days a week. I think for the foreseeable future, because I do fully, I do believe that employees like some flexibility and they want the flexibility and that's what they feel like they deserve. And so it's a reasonable request, you know? So I think that's going to be around a while. Anything that we haven't talked about today that we should have talked about or anything no. else that, 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 that's top of mind that you think we need to make sure we have a discussion on that every, uh, all of our listeners would benefit from? No, I just thanks. I thank you for the opportunity to share. I mean, I am so passionate about workplace and helping people do their best work. So thank you for this opportunity to share. Well, thank you for the yeah. opportunity to have you on the podcast. I don't know if you noticed that I'm wearing my business furniture Yay! t-shirt for you Love. guys. Yeah, I don't even have mine on today. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm well, glad you got your company met with a lot of clients today. Yes, yes. I'm I I'm, I like your company spirit though. Thank you. You have to come see us very soon. I will. I will. So, thank you very much. I am thrilled to have you guys as our title sponsor. Thrilled to have you on the podcast today. How can everyone find you? I I, I will put all this in the show notes, yeah. but on social media, how how do we find you? So, I mean, gosh, we're on link. If you just look up business furniture on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and then our website is businessfurniture.net. So check us out. We have a very active social media profile. So we have a great marketing team that loves to, to share great content. So and you yeah. guys do a phenomenal job of that. So I will make that make sure that that gets into the show notes so that everyone has access to it. And as always, for our for our listeners, there will be a free worksheet out there that you can download because, as you know, I want to make sure that you grab all the key takeaways from this conversation and you can use start to act on them and to immediately apply them to improve the environment in which you are working, especially if you're a leader. There have been some many great things that have come out of our conversation today that Mary Beth has shared with us that I know you're going to be able to implement as you move forward and, and you start to navigate or continue actually to navigate this hybrid work environment that we're in. So with that, thank you much, very much, Mary thank Beth. You. And um, until next time, my friend. Thanks, Starla. You're Bye -bye. welcome. Thank you. Well, there you have it, my friends. Mary Beth certainly gave us a lot to think about. Don't forget that I created a seven-page worksheet to help you and your organization think about when your organization should be asking employees to come into the office and how to create a work environment that makes hybrid work a magnet, not a mandate. There's a link in the show notes that you can use to download your free copy. And while you're there, don't forget to share your feedback with me. Visit starlawest.com forward slash podcast to ask your questions and to share your thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Starla West. I'm your host, and I will see you soon in an upcoming episode of Help Me Think.